The Last Time I Smoked is an independent entertainment podcast intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, I, I have no lag. Uh, the picture quality is really good. You want it? You don't. You don't mind being shirtless. Wait, are you going to record this? I don't know. I guess not. We don't have to put a video. I was going to be like, it was going to be like a big special. Like, ooh, and now we have like a... Hold on, let me grab, and I'll put on pants too. So that <laughs> Welcome to The Last Time I Smoked, an introspective podcast of one person's life transitioning from pothead to sobriety. On today's episode, Thanksgiving. Today's guest is Joe Fuentes, and ending with The Fraudulent Thoughts. Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? I had a lovely Thanksgiving with my fiance and his mother. We had Thai food. Then I spent the rest of the evening getting hammered with friends. That was fun. And special because Thanksgiving was my last alcohol drinking day. Yay, me. So I'm not an alcoholic. Why remove something from my life that's not necessarily hurting me? It's a good question, me. The story starts 17 years ago when I was 15 years old. My high school friends, Beth and Laura, would steal huge cans of Foster's Australian for beer from Beth's dad. And then we'd hide in the woods and just get smashed. Fast forward to my early 20s while I was stationed at Grand Forks Air Force Base, North Dakota. Drinking became a way of life. I worked as an EMT, acute care nurse, 24 hours on, 48 hours off. What else was I going to do with my time when it's negative 32 degrees outside? Let's go to the bar. Oh, yeah. I went on poker runs when I was 21 with a biker gang. Following my military career, I attended college. Enough said. Now, more recently, I live in Los Angeles, where some of the greatest ideas and deals are made through its bar culture. Am I hurting myself by separating myself from that culture? Maybe. But I've been inundated with liquor my whole life life and I haven't once taken the time to ask myself am I even a drinker I don't think I am or maybe I am but I haven't given myself an honest answer today's guest is Joe Fuentes Joe and I've been friends since college we were on the uh, speech and debate team well they call it forensics he was amazing at parliamentary debate I wasn't that good but he was great. He's also a United States Marine, which every time I think about that, I get a little starstruck knowing he's my friend. <laughs> it's just cool to have a Marine friend, period. Uh, can we talk about something annoying real quick before we get started? Sure. How many texts and messages did you get yesterday from friends that you could have used months ago or years ago? Well, not necessarily years since it's been one year since they've texted us, but just like, hey, sorry, I've been super busy. Thanks for everything. Happy Veterans Day. And I'm like, you should eat all the dicks. (laughs) I actually only got one. I think it's cut down because last year some people were still on the fence about which which side they're going to stake their their flag in. On top of the fact that some of them probably felt bad that they hadn't spoken in a while. So like, oh. This Facebook status is going to show them that we really appreciate him, even though it's crushing depression, but let's all this stuff, or we're just going to call him a piece of shit behind his back. But thanks for your service. <laughs> Look at you. You're so mad about it. It's so, du- and here's the thing is I'm not, I'm not even looking for it. 
Like, it's not like I'm mad that more people didn't do it. I'm mad that you do it and you clearly did it as a virtue of, like, your own guilt. Wow. That's deep. No, it's not. That's, like, that's pretty cut and dry. It's like a kid that writes a letter to Santa and he's like, dear Santa, I mean, there are so many starving kids in Africa. I guess I, I mean, instead of me getting a Nintendo 64 in two games, like, you should go and help them, but... Says I'm so nice. If you want it, I could use a Nintendo 64 in three games. Like it's <laughs> like it's the reverse psychology you figure out at eight when you're trying to outsmart Santa. I got hypnotized recently, and they do this sort of breakdown of brain thinks and how it collects information and me- and how it develops memories over time. And they taught us that between like ages like seven to ten, eight to ten, that the brain is starting to use the knowledge that's learned over the past eight years in such a way that it doesn't, the brain doesn't understand enough in the future that it could get hurt, mm-hmm. but it knows all the things that could hurt it and is able to, you know, and the child's able to be like, on that I know everything. I know best. Yeah. I didn't know that. I went to nursing school. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's because you're immersed land. They don't teach you real medical things. They're like, listen, here's how you fuck up. An IV eight times in a row. This is how you talk down. Dude, I'm a life. fucking mosquito. I'm great. For a second, I thought that was another slang for the gay community. And I didn't know. You're like, listen, you have your otters. You got your bears. I am a mosquito. <laughs> I'm barely there, but what there is what counts. <laughs> I'm going to add that to Urban Dictionary and just see if it catches <laughs> on. <laughs> I'm a mosquito. I'm just there to suck it all up. <laughs> All right, I need you to, okay, I need you to introduce yourself. No, you're going to introduce oh, God. me. See, this is why I, I hate that part. It's like, I don't know, like I introduce people in the beginning, but it gets people's brains working about thinking their own thoughts when they have to think of a, a short bio, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, who is Joe Fuentes? No kidding. <laughs> He's shit. That guy, don't. Don't associate that guy if you can help it. How long have you been in this service? Don't no, like I'm not. I'm a reservist, dude. Like, Ooh, so there's like levels to your <laughs> patriotism. It's like I'll patriot, but one weekend. Come on, let's <laughs> eat it. And you're barely getting me there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've deployed like five times, but yeah, like the one weekend. Ooh, that's a good idea. I'm gonna grab something to drink, and it's probably gonna be a beer. You're welcome. <laughs> Mm. What are you drinking? Uh, the Shiner Cheer just came out. Uh, their Shiner Oktoberfest. I Shiner just Bar- saw that ad for it recently. I've never had it. It's good. It's like if Norman Rockwell's paintings were craft brewed and then actually tasted like they were supposed to be without any kind of cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever been sober? Like, have you ever like legitimately told yourself, I'm going to be sober for a certain amount of time? Yes. Was that had to? Was that when you were like working out? Though I mean, I'm sure you still no. do. No, 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 no. Like I, I, um, you know, I'm still pretty heavy into the fitness regimen now. Right. But uh, my sobriety came uh, right after my divorce. 
and I was just like chain smoking and I was just drinking and I was feeling sorry for myself. I wasn't leaving the house. Like I'd put something on Netflix and be like, this is bullshit. And then like <laughs> walk into my garage because it was freezing outside and then like have a cigarette and be drinking and walk back inside and just be like, I get sick of like mixing drinks after the first two. So I just have like a two liter of Coke and like a handle of like SoCo or Sailor Jerry or something mm-hmm. on the table and be like, this is a mixed drink. I <laughs> <laughs> just, and it got to the point uh, of class, <laughs> but, but it, it was, it was never an issue of, I was never vomiting. I was never blackout drunk. You, you know what I mean? Like it, I, I, I hesitate to use a term like alcoholism because uh, not because it has serious connotations and or I have that problem. you weren't actually treated for that or reviewed for something like that. Exactly. Like that is like, it's, that's a self-diagnosis. What I was doing is I was self-medicating with alcohol. Like that's what I can objectively totally say. I was self-medicating with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, it got, I started getting dependent on it to write. I started getting dependent on it to go on stage. Um, it was, it was like, if Joe needed to do something, he was drinking and, uh, hang on. Give me one second. My, uh, platoon sergeant's calling me. Copy. Hey, gorgeous. All right. Later. <laughs> yeah. I have a team of my own now, which is really weird. Which is really weird. That's amazing. Congratulations. Hey, dude. Yeah, dude. Sorry, the phone call right before then talking. Oh, sobriety. And like, so when did you mm-hmm. decide that, you know, that you when did you have like that moment? of It wasn't blacking out. And it wasn't what struck you. It was. I can't remember where, but but the issue of it was. Oh, I do. And it's going to be it's lame as shit. Let me preface this by saying it's <laughs> lame as shit. I remember there was a Disney Channel movie about a kid who was like at an MIT type school. He was like a genius 12 year old or something like that, but he wanted to be cool. So he started like cutting classes that he was teaching and stuff like that to go to like the normal middle school or high school next door. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, I'm kind of a dork, but I don't know how to like read and stuff. Here's my motorcycles. And I'm like, cause he wanted to be cool. Right. And the thing that inspired him to do it was one of his mentors was like, only an idiot in science does the same thing over and over and over and expects a different result. So it wasn't even so much that, you know, I hit rock bottom or I wasn't paying my bills or anything like that. It was just that I'm really unhappy. Mm-hmm. I am. I'm very, very unhappy. And all this is doing is it's not even getting me through the day. It's just a habit. It's a way that I exist. So what do I have to lose to try to remove this from my life and see if I can get happier? Because the worst case scenario is I'm still fucking miserable. (laughs) Right. Did it work? Kind of up and down, I guess. I think what worked is not it being a means to an end. My friend David in Tallahassee, we would always go out on Friday to a local brewery proof. And I was fine with that. Cause it was like, it was a standing thing mm-hmm. and staying away from that and not buying it and not bringing it home kind of let me do. And it wasn't just sobriety. It was other things like less movies, less TV, less video games. Cause I'm always, I 
recognize that I'm always trying to silence my train of thought. You know, like even if I go outside for a cigarette or something for those three minutes, I, I have to be checking Facebook or looking at Cracked. Even if the articles don't interest me and I'm just like, God, these writers fucking suck. I, I need to have something because God forbid I'd be left alone with the silence of my head for five seconds. What does that feel like? It's really, really crushing. <laughs> <laughs> she quit. Uh, worst, down. worst scenario you didn't so you did get better you felt better i my life is objectively fantastic right i am not i'm very grateful it's not a matter of hmm, well i want more maybe getting sober helped me be professional enough to get my life in order and now it's time to get me in order or maybe those are mutually exclusive maybe to be really successful artistically i have to have this kind of self-hate and this loathing because when i was when i was really happy I wasn't motivated to do much of anything. Mm -hmm. And now everything is a love letter to those lost or to those heartbroken or, you know, like different people in my life from different things. Everything is intensely personal. And it's me addressing things that I wish that they could see like me because I've experienced enough ridiculous heartache with friends and with family that things go from really hot, cold, you know, like, Oh, I'll call my mom tomorrow. Or, you know, like your, your day to day type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is something tragic goes down. And then all of a sudden, every little fight that you had and everything else that was going on is dropped completely. And all of a sudden you get a very objective view on what's important to you and what's not. But you need that shock experience. And and for a while, uh, I think most people do. I think most people do. I, I don't mean to speak in generalizations, but I think mo- like a lot are stuck in petty squabbles or like I'm not talking to this person because they did this to me once upon a time. And, and that's enough to keep them from moving forward with anything? I think so. Wow. Uh, I think so. Or at least it's like a block, just, you know? It's like a mental block and it just sits there. I don't there. think it's even – it's even that. I, I believe in an objective reality. A lot of people don't, but I believe in an objective reality, but you have to remove a lot of the barriers yourself. So I try to... But you were using alcohol as a way to do that then. I always keep that kind of importance in the back of my head now, huh? where it's like, if if someone... Because you can talk, I mean, especially with email and Facebook message or anything else, you can... You can send messages to anyone, but I don't think you can really communicate with a lot of people unless you're both on the same page and you both really are willing to communicate and what that means and really have an exchange of ideas and of feelings. You know, you can write the most beautiful poem in the world that could explain like Lovelorn. And then if you send it over Facebook Messenger, you, you look like an eighth grader with an emo poem. Like, like the, the means of delivery is almost more important than the message now. You have, to, you have to make an effort to take all of these other things into consideration. So I try to write from a place that keeps universal truths in effect. Where like if nothing – you know, like the old adage, like if you had all the money in the world, what would you do tomorrow? You know, like now finances clearly aren't an issue. Um, If you didn't have any hate in your heart, what would you say? Or if you didn't have any risk of alienating someone, like if they were going to completely understand your message, regardless of how much it might have hurt or how much emotional weight it has, if they were going to completely understand everything, what would you say? What would you show them? So I have a a 45-minute commute to work (laughs) both ways. 
so I'll listen to music or I'll listen to Doug Love's movies or uh, You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes or some other podcasts like that. And um, the last time I smoked, but they, they barely update. Like, <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have enough to, to keep getting me through the drive, so I have to go to these other avenues. I appreciate the shout out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I try to picture, like, not myself on stage, but just kind of like sitting in the audience, seeing myself talk and seeing it from that end. Because right. I think you kind of get lost when you're you're picturing yourself with the mic in your hand and, and doing all these mannerisms and like, how do I sell the joke? Or, you know, there's like, you, you mess with intonation. You wonder if you're being too dry. You wonder if you're being like too corny. There's a litany of things that go into the performance, not even just the writing. So I try to take myself out of that and just watch it. Right. Like if I'm thinking about a joke, I try to think about watching myself mm-hmm. and to me that's the quickest writing method because it's just you're already seeing it go mm-hmm. and then the other thing I had to learn to stop doing is self-editing like if I'm just seeing it going and it's working jot down your note you know jot it down don't use a bullet point but obviously don't like careen into the highway or something either <laughs> but, you know like write enough that it that it gets it out so you don't look back later and you're like Fu Manchu Merkin like you're just like what the fuck does that bullet point mean I have a post-it in my office that says high energy because I feel like when I try to perform the jokes that I've written, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll totally, I'll get on stage and there's a mixture of the fright, there's a mixture of the uh, of trying to remember, and there's a mixture of like tonality when you're up there. And all those things turn me into this. It's like driving on the interstate. Right. <laughs> like, you know what you're doing, you know what you're doing, and you've driven there so many times, and it's basically a straight path, and you've got cruise control on, that there have been times I've done all jokes and I'm I'm trying to remember if I bought eggs. Like I remember when I had a terrible stage fright for people to like me and, and, and for things to be funny when I first got up. And then I'm just like, mm, they want me to do nine tonight. I need to do like some old stuff. So then you kind of check out and it shows. <laughs> right. You, people like it when you don't care about them. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that was on my like granddad's headstone or something. <laughs> Might be on the family crest. People love it when you don't give a fuck about them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I want to do New York again. I want to perform it. I had such a good time. Running you shouldn't around. say it like that. Like with you people, the way it's structured, you, you don't want to do New York. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I meant women. <laughs> <laughs> I always have a good time when I go out there, though. It's such a, I mean, I, I did a whole podcast based on it. I just, I love that city. I mean, I, t- I yeah. think what it is, because my first mic yesterday wasn't until 5 30, 6, mm-hmm. something like And it was just one of those things where I was, I was like, I was upset and depressed at the house, like just getting kind of stir crazy. It's gray outside and stuff like that. So I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to go in, I'm going to try to do some mics. You know, I, I looked up the mics and everything and kind of plotted my route. And it was only 1.30. So I got in the city at 2.30. Nice. And New York is a great place to not even put in earbuds. Like, listen, listen to what's going on around you and just walk. You know, like I went up to Columbus 
circle, uh, went around Central Park, and then like came back down. And it's the jam. You don't, and you don't notice how long you're walking. You overhear conversations. You see all of these things, and you see random pieces of art, and you see random pieces of, of people. And I really thought that I was going to have either uh, feel really isolated because um, you know I I try to make an earnest effort to not be like that veteran or like that person that's like no, I don't understand what you're talking about explain that's like oh I've experienced this I hate everyone <laughs> like I feel like that's common but that's common with a lot of people like whether it's cops or firefighters or but or anything definitely like they, veterans of some we sort all, we all have a professional tribalism where it's kind of kind of a disconnect you don't know <laughs> <laughs> I was into that <laughs> <laughs> right now how do you how do you get over that because there's I, I was I was scared that I was going to have that coming here on the, on the opposite side I was scared that I was going to have the uh, just like I don't want to be around crowds type of struggle Luke stop pumping her you don't got balls that's do you? all of us ain't it I swear like, but, like oh. where, it's, where it's just like you have that kind of insular uh, thing uh, New York is surprisingly I'm comfortable there it's like I am totally alone and no one around me gives a shit mm-hmm. but I am surrounded by people and for some reason I still don't feel lonely even though I'm surrounded by people and not talking to them because generally when I go to events or I go to things I get lonely like I'm like I'm surrounded by all these people and we have this shared interests or this shared whatever mm-hmm. and you know no one really wants to talk to me or like no one really wants to go do something after or like I just feel like there's a wall put up for something and it sucks more because I'm not the one who's being dismissive like I'm actively trying to make sure I don't paint myself into a corner that I don't just have a social bubble but I think that I don't venture outside of hey do you guys want to get a beer all right I'll see you later like, like it's not it's not a this has to be the one or I swear to god I'm getting the rope like <laughs> it's not like an it's not an ultimatum drink you know oh no I don't mean that but I mean if you yeah I I'm really good at meeting people and starting to get like projects started I, it's just only because everybody that I meet is great at it I know I know the gays are great at networking <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I'm as good as some of my other friends. Or hey, I didn't say you were the gay. I said the gay. <laughs> <laughs> your community, on an average, does really well. <laughs> it's true. I, you guys have your own private LinkedIn, don't you? Well, you don't have to say it. Just tell me and then edit that part out so no one else knows. <laughs> Beep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> oh, you're learning all our secrets from me. I, I have a few, I have a few little dikes in your dam that bring information. <laughs> but I'm, I'm professional comedian Joe Fuentes. <laughs> Amateur. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast about smoking marijuana, which you do not do because you are a federal employee and you are not allowed to do it. But you are allowed to have an opinion on its legality and its future. <laughs> so I would like information on whether or not dogs. I fucking hate. <laughs> you think it should be legalized? I don't see a reason why not. I, I really could not give less of a fuck about it. And I and I mean that as someone who has friends that are well-balanced, like you. And then I have some friends that used it as a rallying cry for the entirety of their political identity. And I'm just Can like, you explain that? Because that's actually been a constant theme in all of my podcasts. People talking about how, man, weed smokers just keep, like, they're the only ones who really push their... their their ideals on other people 
It's like, why don't you smoke? No, no, no. I don't. I don't mean necessarily push their ideals. What I mean is that I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent. Bear with me. And action. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, doll. <laughs> but I do it on me. <laughs> um, I'm turning. I do it on me on a bumper sticker. I, I, <laughs> Thanks, doll. But I do it on me. That can be your first bumper sticker in your first shirt. <laughs> Thanks, doll. But I do it on me. Um, I try to always be cognizant of people finding out that I'm a Marine. So, like, when I go out, um, and it doesn't have anything to do with being from the South or being in the military, I just actually had good parents, you know, saying, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. If you go out and drink with your friends, don't be too rowdy, because then you're just that group. Like, you already have a niche that you can immediately be thrown in the minute that you're boisterous or an asshole or you're overly chauvinistic or anything like that. Um, I do believe that if someone feels that their rights are being infringed upon and that marijuana is being made illegal just for superfluous reasons or for uh, bad research or whatever, then yeah, totally fight for it. But also if you're going to have a message, you have to be cognizant of the two-dimensional character that you represent. So the second that you open your mouth and start talking about pot and you're, you know, like late 20s, early 30s, and you're still wearing comic book and Star Wars shirts and you have really unkempt hair and everything else, no matter how articulate you are or intelligent you are or what your background is, you've already limited yourself. Is it fair? No, but it's not the community's job to be fair. It's your job to transcend it and then make a valid point with rational arguments. I do what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I hear that a lot. (laughs) The Fraudulent Thoughts. I ended last episode negatively. I'm sorry, I do that sometimes. I have trouble distinguishing from what's a good idea and a bad one so often that I put myself in this really weird downward spiral of negative thoughts, which turns into me sabotaging my own time to work on my own projects. I wasn't depressed or anxious but disappointed with myself. I feel felt like a fraud. So like any good millennial, I googled, I feel like a fraud, and stumbled upon the imposter phenomenon. By no means is the imposter phenomenon, aka imposter syndrome, a medical diagnosis, nor will it be found in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, also known as the DSM-5. However, the definition of imposter phenomenon may actually be a form of comfort for many to understand. Let me explain. The first appearance of the term imposter syndrome was coined in a 1978 college thesis entitled The Imposter Phenomenon in High Achieving Women, Colon, Dynamics and Therapeutic Intervention, authored by Dr. Pauline Rose Clance and Dr. Susan Eames. The imposter study defined imposter syndrome as, despite having academic and professional accomplishments, women who experience the imposter phenomenon persists in believing that they are really not bright and have fooled everyone who thinks otherwise. Over the years, the definition has evolved and widened the scope of who may experience this phenomenon. Dr. Holly Hutchins of New Horizons in Adult Education and Human Resource Development offers a more contemporary definition in a published article dated 24 April 2015 as imposter phenomenon. The experience of fraudulent thoughts and feelings and the inability to attribute an eternalized personal achievement. Hmm. I do that. Dr. Jolene Borhart explains in her June 2015 article, Imposter Syndrome, colon, you are not alone. Imposter feelings are incredibly common. It's believed that up to 70% of successful people have felt like imposters or fakes about their work at some point in their careers. 
and imposter feelings are especially common in competitive fields, like medicine, where people are constantly being evaluated and reviewed by other high-achieving people. End quote. Hmm, maybe it isn't the beer. The late Maya Angelou, an award-winning writer and speaker at President Clinton's inauguration, said, quote, I've written 11 books, but each time I think... Uh-oh. They're going to find out now. I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. End quote. That's inspiring, but how do I change these thought patterns that I've built up for so long? Dr. Borhart ends her article with this. Talking openly about your self-doubt and fears can help you begin to overcome the imposter feelings that are sabotaging your career and keeping you from reaching your full potential. Thank you, doctors. I'd like to thank the listeners, and I'd like to thank my guest today, Joe Fuentes. Music by The Losers, Gotta Keep Moving, Blue Dot Sessions, A Burst of Light, TV Girl, Come When You Call. All these songs and more can be found at freemusicarchive.org. This has been a production of rockbottomartist.com. 